Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayholt LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi there. My name is Andrew Salvador, associate at Glayholt LLP. I'm here with John Margie, partner. Today we're going to be talking about the trust remedies under the Construction Act. Now, my understanding is that there's two main remedies under the Construction Act. One is the availability to place a lien on a property, and the other is a trust remedy. John, to get us started, could you pr- please provide us with a brief overview of the trust remedy and when it can be used? Yes, Andrew, thank you. Um, I think it's important to recognize that the whole purpose behind the trust remedy is to ensure that the funds on a project are used is to uh, pay those that have done the work on the project. And I like to think of that in terms of a silo. So every project is its own silo and the money flows in uh, at the top uh, and it stays within the silo and it's used to pay all of those that have uh, performed work on the project. Now, Andrew, it's important to remember that there are essentially three major uh, types of trusts that are provided for by the Act. Uh, the first one is what's referred to as the owner's trust. The second one is the subcontractor and contractor trust. And the third one is what's known as the vendor's trust. Uh, but uh, also importantly, within the owner's trust, there are three different kinds of trusts that are at play there. Uh, the, first tr- uh, the first type of owner's trust relates to amounts received by an owner uh, that are to be used in the financing of the improvement. Uh, this, so that's uh, effectively when a, a owner goes out and gets uh, a mortgage, uh, gets mortgage money to pay for the construction. Uh, the second type of owner's trust is uh, uh, created uh, where an owner is self-financing the construction uh, out of their general revenue. The trust arises when a payment certifier certifies that amount that an amount is payable under the contract. Uh, and the third kind of owner's trust is where trust money in the owner's hands uh, is uh, is in the owner's hands or it's received by an owner after the uh, certificate of substantial performance has been issued. And so those, those three uh, major types of trusts provide a very uh, powerful remedy to ensure that those down in the construction chain uh, eventually get paid. Uh, and that's the whole purpose of the trust remedy. On that point, thinking about this and how it contrasts with a lien action, could you explain when you would use this over a lien action or can you bring both at the same time? Um, I know that there's specific provisions under the, this depends on whether you're in the old act or the new act. I was wondering if you could get into that. Yeah, yeah Andrew, I don't think it's so much a matter of uh, uh, preferring one remedy over the other. Uh, I think in some cases uh, you might want to use both remedies at the same time. And, of course, you're entitled to use both remedies at the same time. The, with, even with the new amendments, uh, there's some doubt uh, as to whether or not you can include uh, with your lien action a breach of trust claim. But nevertheless, you can start two actions, one a lien action and one a breach of trust action. Uh, so in terms of when would I use one over the other, I think it would depend on the circumstances. Uh, uh, sometimes where there are a significant number of liens on a project, for example, 
because uh, when you search title, you see that there are other liens on title. Uh, you might decide at that point that perhaps at that point you decide that a breach of trust claim might provide a better remedy since uh, there might not be enough holdback to pay your lien claim uh, or perhaps the owner has gone bankrupt. And I understand that there's a unique remedy with the tr- breach of trust claims in that you can uh, involve the officers and directors of the corporation in the action so that if there is not enough money in the actual corporation, you can go after the officers and directors to try to collect there. So, John, what are some issues with bringing a breach of trust claim? Andrew, the, uh, uh, as we uh, spoke about earlier, the breach of trust claim is a very powerful remedy. But to successfully uh, bring a breach of trust claim, there are a couple of elements that need to be addressed. Uh, for example, uh, it, you have to be able to link the, your supply uh, to the specific improvement. Now, with most projects that, or with most uh, parties, it's not an issue because they actually supply to a specific site. They deliver the product there, however, or, or they perform the work at the site. In other instances, uh, for example, the Sunview Doors case, uh, there was uh, the the supplier didn't know which projects uh, the uh, materials were being supplied to. So in some cases, you might have this issue of being able to link the supply to the specific improvement. However, beyond that, uh, when you're actually bringing the breach of trust claim and trying to uh, prove it, uh, it, it is very much an accounting game. Uh, and you might require uh, some accounting expert to assist in reviewing the records of the party that you're suing for breach of trust. Uh, it's important that people remember that uh, when you're dealing with, uh, like, the, for example, the subcontractor or the contractor's trust, um, the way the act is crafted and the way it has been interpreted, uh, all of the money that a contractor receives is for the benefit of those that supplied to that contractor. And that has been interpreted to mean that the contractor cannot pay its own overhead expenses. Uh, and that includes its own site staff, for example, its site trailers. Uh, none of these overhead and operational expenses can be paid until uh, all of those below that contractor have been paid in full. And so this kind of, this, this to some extent uh, brings us to the, 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 one of the new provisions that was uh, inserted into the Act, Section 8.1, and the requirement as to uh, how you now must account for trust funds. So there are a couple of, a couple of elements related to the new section. So the party that receives the trust funds has to deposit them into a bank account in the name of the party that has the contract with the owner. So uh, lots of companies like to set up uh, a operating company per project. So they must have a bank account in the name of that company that is running that project, receiving monies from the owner and then paying monies out to the trades. Uh, In addition to that, uh, they must maintain written records. And the written records have to detail all the money coming in and out uh, from that account. And the only way that you're going to be able to uh, demonstrate that you haven't breached trust is by detailing it on a project-by-project basis, 
or having the ability to do so. Uh, but then at the end of that exercise, uh, if the uh, contractor has received a million dollars and through its written records uh, claims that it spent $1.2 million, uh, prima facie looks like they haven't committed a breach of trust until you start looking into the details of what the contractor did with the money. So if the contractor was paying site staff with that money, these amounts can be deducted through this through the written records that are provided uh, under the new section 8.1 to the point where you can likely demonstrate that there has been a breach of trust because the written records would detail what overhead and operational expenses were being paid by the contractor uh, from the monies it received from the owner. So it sounds like this new Section 8.1 is going to help alleviate some of the difficulty, the evidentiary burden that currently exists uh, with bringing uh, trust claims. Andrew, I think that was exactly the intent of uh, Section, uh, the new Section 8.1, was to address the evidentiary burden issue. Andrew, I think it's also uh, important to remember that uh, most recently there was the decision by the Court of Appeal in the Guarantee Company case, and in my view, uh, that case has given new life and uh, perhaps even strengthened more the breach of trust uh, uh, remedy that's available. So thanks for that, John. And uh, just finally, can you provide us with some additional practice tips that you could share with us on uh, bringing a successful breach of trust claim? Yeah, Andrew, um, uh, I, I think uh, uh, although we've talked a little bit about uh, the new Section 8.1, I think it's important to stress again, if you are a trustee of trust funds, deposit the funds into a bank account in the name of the trustee, so the party that's actually doing the work, receiving the money from an owner and paying it down to trades. Uh, remember to maintain written records in respect of the trust funds detailing the money in and the money out and any transfers of those monies. Uh, and, and third, although the money that you receive from many projects can be mingled into a single account, remember to keep the written records. Because uh, ultimately, in order to defend against a breach of trust claim, you'll want to unscramble the accounting egg, if you will, to be able to demonstrate that there has been no breach of trust. Uh, perhaps, Andrew, uh, uh, another uh, practice tip, uh, now this is for someone who wants to bring a breach of trust claim, is to use the Section 39 demand for information. Uh, I uh, uh, always deliver Section 39 demands. Uh, whether I'm using the lien remedy or whether I'm using the breach of trust remedy, uh, to try and find out what the accounting on the project looks like. And so I will send a Section 39 demand, for example, to an owner to find out what the owner has paid the contractor. And the new requirements under Section 39 now require much more of a detailed, uh, detailed much require that much more detailed accounting uh, uh, answers be provided. Uh, so uh, use Section 39. It can be a very, very powerful tool in and of itself. Andrew, another uh, practice tip uh, is simply uh, while the breach of trust remedy uh, is a powerful tool, uh, uh, claimants shouldn't forget that they also have lien rights and they should take steps to preserve their liens when appropriate to do so. Um, uh, I, I have, uh, Andrew, I think I have two more practice tips. Uh, one is that uh, if you are an officer or director of a company that handles 
trust funds on a construction project, uh, you should look into getting some officers and directors insurance that will cover any claims that are made uh, for a breach of trust. And finally, uh, beware of limitations. Uh, limitations, uh, everyone, everyone's aware that uh, if you don't preserve a lien in time or if you don't start your lien action in time, uh, your lien expires and it can never be revived. But there's with the limitations, there's similar uh, law. So be aware uh, as to when your limitation period expires to sue for a breach of trust. Uh, generally speaking, uh, I, I like I'm cautious. So if my client is being unpaid and a certificate of substantial performance has been published, uh, I typically use the date of publication of the certificate of substantial performance. Uh, in other cases, if there's been no certificate, you might want to look at the date of the last invoice and pick a month or two in advance of that just to be, again, more cautious so that you don't run into a limitation period. Thank you for that very valuable insight, John. And thank you, listeners. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.